Hey, you're listening to the Seven Hills Church Podcast. If you want to learn more about the church, including upcoming service times in both our Cincinnati, Ohio, and Florence, Kentucky locations, visit us online at sevenhillschurch.tv. We hope this message helps you win the day. 1 Kings chapter 2. 1 Kings chapter 2. If you go to chapter 3, you can do this maybe on your own time, but you'll notice that there is this famous dream that Solomon is given. God shows up in this dream and he says to Solomon, anything you ask, anything you desire, I'll do it for you. Can you imagine having that kind of a dream? Can you imagine having that kind of a moment or an experience with God where he comes down and he says, anything you want, anything you desire, if you'll ask me, I will do that for you. I don't know what you're looking at in 2022, maybe what you're believing God for. I don't know, uh, maybe there's a situation that you're up against. Uh, Maybe it's just a dream in your heart. But just imagine having that kind of a moment where God says, if you'll just ask me, I will do that for you. We all think about these chapter three dreams, but before we get to that, we need to go to the chapter two, what I'm gonna call trust test. And that's what I'm gonna speak on, how to pass the trust test, how to pass the trust test. Let's look at verse one. When the time drew near for David to die, he gave charge to Solomon, his son, and he said, I'm about to go the way of all the earth. And he said to his son, be strong and act like a man, I like that. If you're a man in here, you probably like that. Be strong and act like a man. You can put woman in there if you want. Be strong and act like a man. It's not, David's on his deathbed, he doesn't look at his son and say, I just want you to know I love you. He doesn't say, I want you to know I'm proud of you. He doesn't say, would you you take care of your mom, take care of your brothers and sisters? That's what we would used to be hearing at this time in a father's life. This is not gonna go on, the, on a glittery Hallmark card of some type. This is not a warm encouragement. This is you be strong. There's some things that you're gonna have to deal with, Solomon, that you're gonna have to be strong and you're gonna have to act like a man. If you were to ask any great leader who the hardest person to lead is, you would usually get the same answer and they would all acknowledge the hardest person you'll ever lead is yourself. You say, Marcus, you don't know my husband. You probably wouldn't be saying that. You know, listen, the hardest person I will ever have to lead is me. The hardest person you'll ever have to lead is yourself. And so Solomon here is hearing from David that exact statement. Solomon, you're gonna have to learn to lead yourself. You're gonna have to make some hard decisions. You're gonna have to make some difficult calls. And he begins to give him instructions specifically on what can live and what needs to die. And he's letting Solomon know this is not a joke. This is not child's play. This is not a game. This is not a walk in the park. There is going to be some very painful and difficult decisions. You're going to have to learn now. And so you're gonna have to be strong and you're gonna have to act like a man. Be and act. You have to be and you have to act. You know, you can be something and not act like it. 
What he's saying to Solomon is you can be king and not act like a king, right? You can be married, not act married. You can be a Christian, This is one of those oh me sermons. It's not amen, it's oh me, right? If it's not amen, it's oh me. And not act like a Christian. You can be a pastor. I am one. I know many. You can be one and not act like one. You can be an adult. Not act like one. You can be a friend and not act like one. And so... David says to Solomon, you can be king, but you're gonna have to act like king. Every year during the fast, to me, this is exactly how it feels. It feels like how Abraham grabs Isaac and he's climbing up the mountain. That's what the fast is to me. It's this climbing up the mountain. You're trying to get to this place with God, but once you get to the end of the fast, there's this moment where you've got Isaac and you're having to get with God and say, okay, what lives and what dies? Because every year during the fast, what begins to happen to me is God deals with some things in my life that lived in 2021 that I don't want to see live in 2022. And there's some things that, that, that maybe died in 2021 that I say to God, God, I want that to live in 2022. And so here we have this challenge by David to Solomon saying, there are some things that you're gonna have to decide that you let live and some things you're gonna have to let die. And really, if you go into the background with David, David is saying to Solomon, his son, hey, there are some things in my life I refuse to deal with. Unfortunately, now I'm leaving them to you. And so when I look back at my life, David is saying to his son, when I look back at it, I have to acknowledge that there were some unnecessary wars. I'm having to admit there's some dreams that are unfulfilled. I'm having to admit that our family had unnecessary hardship and pain, that the nation went through things it should have never gone through, and it all goes back to there's some things that needed to die, I let live, and there's some things that needed to live, and I let them die. And now, Solomon, it's your turn, it's your chance, and you're gonna have to be strong, and you're gonna have to you're gonna have to act like a man here. You're gonna have to be courageous in this. And he gives them five things that he has to decide in chapter two that gives us our trust test, we'll live or we'll die. The first thing he says is he says, I want you to take the sons of Barzillai and I want you to let them live. Not only do I want you to let them live, but I want you to be kind to them and I want you to give them a seat at the king's table. This is what I want to call the generosity test. You see, Bar Barzillai was a wealthy man from Gilead that's most famous for when Absalom was trying to revolt against David. David had to run from Jerusalem, and as he's surviving in the wilderness, Barzillai comes along and he uses his wealth and his influence to take care of the king and take care of the king's family and take care of the king's army during this season where they were living on the run. After he survives that, Absalom has died. 
David and his family are going back across the River Jordan. David looks back at Barzillai and says, okay, now anything you want, just ask me. I'll, I'll bless you. I'll reward you. And Barzillai says, I want you to take whatever blessing you had in store for me, and I want you to give it to my servant. And this is the point. Barzillai is a powerful example of the legacy generosity can have. David said, I want you to give the sons of Barzillai a seat at the king's table. This is something I want you to nourish. This, this spirit of Barzillai, this spirit of generosity is something I want you to give it a seat at your table. I want you to honor it. I want you to cherish it. I want you to nourish this, the, the offspring of Barzillai. What I want to say is every time you're generous towards the king, you're creating a seat at the table for someone else. Sometimes you and I get so focused that we're at the king's table. We get so focused that we're here on a Sunday morning and we look around at the blessings of God and maybe the peace of God and maybe today you're standing in a place where you know you're right with God and you've experienced grace and favor and his love and his forgiveness and maybe you walk every day in a peace that passes understanding or maybe in a world that has no, no happiness. Uh, always, you have this joy that gives you strength and you're at the king's table, we sometimes forget that our job is to also create a future seat for somebody else. Because every one of us are a son of Barzillai that someone else cared to give a seat at the king's table to. Every single one of us is an offspring of generosity that someone else had paid the price, they counted the cost, they dug deep and they did something so you and I could have a seat at the king's table. I'm grateful I'm at the table. I'm grateful that I'm a part of the house of God. I'm grateful that I'm at the king's table today. But I can't forget that someone gave me that seat. Before you have the chapter three dream, you'll first have to go through the chapter two generosity test. Let me ask you the question. Does generosity have a seat at the table in your life? Are you feeding generosity? Are, are you nurturing a spirit of generosity? Are you using all that God's blessed you with to honor the king in your life? The Bible says in Proverbs eleven twenty five that a generous person will prosper and he who refreshes others will be refreshed. In 2 Corinthians chapter eight, Paul says it like this, that others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel and for your generosity. And then he goes on to say, in their prayers, they will thank God for you. I want you to think about it like this. That when I was 16 years old, a small little church in Kansas reached out to a kid in a lunchroom that's standing on this stage today. That church sacrificed somehow to hire a youth pastor. They, they had a little youth room that they did the best they could with. It's probably the size of most y'all's closet. But they, they did what they could. I don't know the name of the people that sacrificed for that. I don't know of the, the, I don't know the face, some I may kind of, but for the most part, I don't know the details of it. But I can tell you today, I thank God in my prayers for them. I thank God in my prayers 
that they let their generosity give me a seat at the table. And I think back to that day, to those times, to that teenager, and what kind of man would I be? And what, what kind of husband would I be? What kind of life would I have? What kind of dad would I be? What kind of future granddad would I be? Had they not made sure I had a seat at the table? And now it's my job, and now it's your job to say, okay, I've got to be thinking about making sure I'm giving someone else a seat at the table. And Paul said, someday, just like I'm thanking God for them in my my prayers, they will thank God for me and their prayers. In 2022, let generosity be alive in your life. In 2022, make a decision, I'm gonna pass the generosity test. If in 2021, generosity had died, let that thing live in 2022. Number two, David tells Solomon, concerning Adonijah, he's gonna have to die. Adonijah represents the promotion test. Adonijah is Solomon's half-brother, and if you go back to 1 Kings chapter 1, verses five and six, Adonijah makes this announcement, I will be king. He's self-appointed and he's self-anointed. He's a self-promoter. Self-promotion is never God's heart for his people. You do not have to self-promote. You do not have to promote yourself. The Bible says that you serve your way to greatness. Let me say it like this. The world says push your way to the top, but the scripture teaches you, you serve your way to the bottom. In 1 Kings chapter 1, verse 6, the Bible says why Adonijah acted the way that he did, and it's because his father never rebuked him and asked, why do you behave this way? In other words, Adonijah could have had a different life if he just would have had someone that cared enough for him to correct him. If he just would have had someone in his life that cared enough to do the hard thing and say, hey, listen, I'm gonna call you out. Why are you acting that way? Why are you thinking that way? Because if you don't pass the chapter two trust test, you don't get the chapter three dream. So you have this I will be king dream, but you gotta kinda go back and you have to make sure that you pass the promotion test. And this is what Jesus taught the sons of Zebedee. Remember the story of Matthew chapter 20, the mom of James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to Jesus and asked Jesus to do something for her. And he says, well, what do you want? And she says, I want one of my sons to sit on your right hand and another uh, of my sons to sit on your left hand. And Jesus said, these things are prepared for whom, or these places are prepared for whom the Father has prepared them. In other words, what Jesus was teaching her is God is always preparing two things, places and people. And a lot of people get wrapped up with the place. They get wrapped up with the position. They get wrapped up with the status. But Jesus said God's always preparing the place and he's preparing the person. And then he connects the two. Our job is to not worry about the place. Our job is to worry about the person. 
God, I want you to prepare me for the place that you have destined for me because I don't want to reach that place and get something I'm not prepared for. And so then Jesus gives the secret to how he prepares us and he says that you have to serve to be great in the kingdom of God. When you and I serve, what we're doing is we're preparing our life for the place. That's why we hammer every week, go through Summit, go through Summit. You need to go to Summit. Would you go through Summit? It's not because we don't have anything better to do. It's because we truly believe that the Bible teaches that you and I are part of the body and that God's not called you to sit in a seat God's not called you to spectate. God's actually called you to get in the game, get on the field, roll up your sleeves, thank God, you know, that somebody's willing to do those things. And this is the thing, it's not for the church's sake. You serve for your sake. It's not what you can do for the, it's what serving does in you when you do it. It's when you do the small things that God says you can be trusted with the big things. It's when you do the things that other people think, ah, that's a waste of your time, that God looks down and he sees the sacrifice and he sees what you're doing and he's preparing you for the place. I don't know what your chapter three dream looks like. But I know your chapter two trust test will include the death of your Adonijah. The secret is not I will be king. The secret to the kingdom of God and promotion is I will be servant. Is there anybody in your life that can rebuke you? When sermons like this come, do you get mad at me or do you go deep on the inside and say, you know what, he's telling the truth and somebody should tell me the truth because I can't live my whole life just lying to myself and expect to get the chapter three dream. I don't care if you're Tiger Woods, you need a coach. All of us are a student in some area or another. So who can correct you? Proverbs chapter 15, verse 12 says, mockers resent correction so they avoid the wise. The Bible says if you rebuke a fool, they hate you for it. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, Paul is correcting the Corinthian church. It's an extremely powerful chapter, but he concludes by saying, I may not be, I I don't want to be harsh in my use of authority. He said, but I do want to use the authority God's given me to build you up and not tear you down. Who is in your life that has some type of authority? It doesn't always feel good. It's not always fun, but they can say something to you and you know it's building you up on the inside. It's making you the kind, it's the be strong and act like a man kind of talk. Again, this is not your little hallmark church service, right? It's not your little, oh, just a little warm and fuzzy, here you go. No, sometimes you have to have someone that's willing to say some things to you, and it don't have to be me, by the way, but you have to give someone access to your life to teach you, today I can promise you this, I am who I am because of the moments that I allowed people to correct me along the way. And right now, I can tell you, there are several men in my life that I have no problem calling me up and giving me whatever I need to hear to make sure that I don't lose sight of the chapter three dream. Number three, 
He says, as far as Abathar the priest, let him live. This is the boundaries test. Abathar had been faithful to David. Abathar um, started off close to the Ark of the Covenant. That's where you see him, close to the Ark of the Covenant when it's being brought back to Israel. But he gave it to temptation, primarily when Abathar begins his self-appointment as king, or when Adonijah does, Abathar joins him. So Solomon says to this fallen priest, this fallen influence in his life, he says, you get to live, but you're going to have to go to this area and this place, and these are the boundaries you can live in. This is the area... You, you're no longer gonna have influence in my life, but you get to live. What it's speaking to is the weaknesses we all have need boundaries. Everybody has weaknesses, and you have to be willing to acknowledge it and create a boundary. A boundary is a, a decision to remove the option. It doesn't mean that if you don't have the boundary, what you did is wrong, it means that you are increasing the probability of the weakness being exposed. So boundaries enter our life when you know your flesh, if you let it have what it wants, it's crazy. Your flesh is out of control. If I give my flesh an ounce, I know it's gonna want a swimming pool. So I create boundaries. God is never going to kill all the pretty girls so you can stay saved. God's not gonna kill all the hot guys so you can stay saved. Or stay married, by the way. And so we create no trespassing zones. Abathar, you can live, but it's separate from me. Is what Jesus said, you come out from the world and you are separate. What's he saying? He's saying there are some things that you make a decision. You stay here. You're alive. You're present. You exist. I know it. You can't die. I wish you could, but you can't. You're going to be a part of my life for the rest of my life. And so now I'm just going to have to create a boundary and I'm going to have to separate from you. Every person in this room will have to pass the boundary test or you will never see the chapter three dream. Chapter three dreams only come to those in a sustained way that know how to continue to honor the boundaries in their life because they've acknowledged, I'm not invincible. I'm not Superman. I'm Clark Kent. I'm not Superman. And I have my limits and I have the things that I just can't expose myself to or it's going to mean I'm more and more vulnerable. Number four, as far as Joab, that chapter, you can go through chapter two, it's all there. He's gonna have to die. This represents the self-control test. Joab, a powerful warrior, but he had no self-control where a boundary deals with the external measures I take, self-control deals with my inner life. Joab, if you watch him, he was out of control emotionally. He had a horrible temper. He was emotionally moved all over the place, 
couldn't keep his commitments and his word because of his emotions, uh, was always bitter, always seeking revenge, always filled with rage. And so Solomon says, Joab is going to have to die. And the story goes that, that Joab hears that Solomon is coming after him. And so Joab runs into a church, and of all places, he goes to an altar, and he grabs a hold of the altar. And Benaniah comes in, Solomon's right-hand man, and he sees Joab there. And Joab knows it's his time. It's over. You're going to finally be dealt with. Joab knows his time is limited. And Benaniah says, come on, let's go outside. And Joab, hanging on to the altar, says, no, I will die right here. When was the last time you've been to an altar and you grabbed a hold of it and you said, I have a Joab in my life and it dies here? When was the last time you went to a place with God and you said, God, I know I cannot let this live any longer. If I let it live, the dream is gonna be gone. When was the last time you said, God, I need to come and I need you to help me take care of this? I die here. Romans 8:13 For if you live according to the flesh you will die but if by the spirit you put to death the misdeeds of your body and you will live. Shaquille O'Neal when he was in the NBA his first few years every opposing team knew exactly what to do. All they had to do is push his temper button and he would foul out every game. Great player. Maybe one of the best that's ever played. But they knew that he could be in the team and not in the game. And the devil knows your weaknesses. And he knows how to push those buttons in your life. It does not matter if you're rich or poor. It doesn't matter if you're educated or uneducated, young or old, black or white, or any other ethnicity. Can I help you real quick? Every person in this room will experience one of two types of pain. You will experience the pain that comes with self control or you will experience the pain of the regret because you didn't have self-control. You choose your pain. When I have self-control, I'm doing what I hate to create what I love. No one likes carrying their cross every day. No one likes crucifying their flesh. No one likes dying daily. No one likes going to an altar and say, okay, God, I die here. I know for you to trust me, this has to die and cannot live. But to have the chapter three dream, Joab has got to go to the altar and die. I could take you to an altar in an alley in liberal Kansas when I was probably 17 years old. I got saved in a church, but I didn't really live right after I got saved. I had to go to a little alley, and I can remember that's where my altar was. That's where some things died. I could take you to a bed in a little basement in Michigan where, again, something had to die for the chapter three dream to happen. I could take you to a picnic table on a lake in Georgia, and there died. I could take you to many altars over the years here where the only way the dream ever lives is some things had to die at those altars. In 2022, can I encourage you as you leave this fast to not be afraid 
of saying, okay, God, I'm gonna go to an altar. I'm gonna create an altar. Maybe it's in church. Maybe it's in your house. Maybe it's in the woods, but you're going to go. Maybe it's in your car, but you're gonna go somewhere and you're gonna take Joab to that altar and you're gonna make a decision. After this moment, that thing is no longer going to be alive in my life. Number five, Shimei, he says, you're gonna have to let him live. Actually, David tells his son, you can choose, you have wisdom, you can choose whether he lives or dies, and then he says, you're probably gonna have to let him die. So this is a, an interesting one, because he lets him live, but then he dies. So go at it two different ways, but I, I feel like I've got that this is the forgiveness test. Let me tell you why. Shimei is known for being a major critic of David. You might remember the story where he's walking on a hillside and David and his men are down below and he's throwing rocks. Shimei is throwing rocks at David and his men and he's cursing him. And David's mighty men said, David, let, let us kill him. And David says, no, 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 no. Leave him alone. And David gives him forgiveness. That's his first time he forgives him. King Saul ends up dying. David's on his way to the throne. They're crossing a river. Shimei's on the other side of the river, falls on his knees and begs David to not kill him, begs David to forgive him. Once again, his mighty men are there saying, let us kill him, let us take him out. You heard what he said. You remember what he did. He's gonna be nothing but a, a source of frustration to you. Let us kill him. And David says, no, nah, we're gonna forgive him. Fast forward. David is on his deathbed. He brings Shimei up, and Solomon now has to make the decision whether he lives or he dies. And I believe he goes back and he counts. Well, I know that my father forgave him once, and I know he forgave him twice. In those days, all Jewish rabbis taught the most you ever had to forgive someone was three times. So he says, I'm gonna let you live. But you're gonna have to go build a house in Jerusalem, and if you leave Jerusalem, then you die. He's basically saying, you've run out of forgiveness, is what he says. And Shimei teaches us, and Solomon teaches us, a lot about forgiveness, how forgiveness works. You see, forgiveness does not mean we forget. Solomon does not say, Shimei can have a seat at his table. He doesn't say we're going to be close friends. Forgiveness does not mean I have amnesia, I get a lobotomy, I've removed my brain from my head. It's not denying that it happened. What it's doing is it's choosing to remember it differently. And so in Matthew 18, Jesus actually teaches us how to forgive. And you might remember the story. Simon Peter goes to Jesus and he's talking to him about forgiveness and again, Jewish rabbis would have taught the most you have to forgive. I mean, you're incredibly spiritual if you forgive three times. So Peter introduces this substantial improvement on that number and says, what if I forgive seven times? He's basically saying I'm a spiritual giant, just in case you're wanting to know Jesus. <laughs> and then Jesus introduces the forgiveness mathematics that you and I are held to. This is our standard. He says seven times 70. Seven times 70, 490 times. Every day. That's how many chances somebody gets. And then he tells the story, the parable, after. 
about how a guy who was forgiven a lot, given, forgiven a major debt, leaves his debtor, the person he owes all the money to, and he goes out and someone owes him just a very little, and he imprisons the person that owes him when he was just forgiven of so much. And Jesus says, listen, if you can't forgive others, God won't forgive you. So this is the forgiveness equation. Let's help, let's look at it. We all know that in order to get the right answer, right, you have to have the right formula. So there's different formulas depending on what kind of math you're doing. If you're doing algebra, trigonometry, geometry, let's just break it down to where I'm at. Uh, subtraction, addition, <laughs> maybe some multiplication, right? Maybe a little bit. And you have to have the right tool to get the right answer. So Jesus gives us the formula. This is the formula to forgiveness. You spend some time, this person hurt you, this person devalued you, this person took advantage of you, this person abused you, abandoned you, this person did something and it wounded you deeply. And then you come over here and you think about how much God has forgiven you. And once you're done doing the math on how much God's forgiven you, you apply that same math to the person that's hurt you. That's how you forgive. Because if I don't apply the math God's given me, the forgiveness God's given me to them, then I don't get forgiveness. See, forgiveness is not keeping score. It's losing count. It's not that you forget, you just choose to remember it differently. It's choose, the forgiveness test looks something like this for most of us. It's God, I have to trust you that the worst in them is gonna bring out the best in me. If you want the chapter three dream, you have to go through the chapter two forgiveness test. You see, after he passed the trust test, he gets the dream, anything you want, I give it to you. Now think about it. Anything you want, anything you could imagine, I'll give it for you. And Solomon says, all I want is wisdom and a discerning heart to lead these great people. And God is so moved by his response that he says, because you didn't ask for fame, because you didn't ask for wealth, because you didn't ask for power, because you didn't ask for all of the things that most people would ask me for, you get the wisdom, you're going to get the discerning heart and you'll get these things. That's what he says to him. And what I think happens is God knows when he gives us the dream that we pass the trust test, he knows. Because Solomon's desires probably would have been different if he had never sat down at the table with the sons of Barzillai. But looking over at the fact that the only reason he is alive and the only reason he even has a table was because of the generosity of their father. And the generosity of their father is the only reason he's at the king's table and, and even in that environment. And because he went through that trust test, he didn't ask for wealth. Because he watched 
his brother Adonijah be buried. He attended the funeral of those who promote themselves. He didn't ask for fame. He knew where that would lead. He didn't ask for influence like Abathar. He didn't ask for power like Joab. He made a decision, listen, I've saw where those requests lead. God, all I want to know is whatever you give me, that I can be trusted with it. That I can be trusted with it. You see, the big question we all need to always ask ourselves is not can we trust God to give us the dream? It's can he trust you when he gives it to you? I don't wonder if I can trust him, I wonder if I can trust me. I don't wonder if I can trust him, I wonder should he trust me? Should he? I mean, I know there's some things you say, I really desire, should he trust you? If he gives you the success, if he gives you the achievement, if he gives you the accomplishment, if he gives you whatever that is, can he trust you with it? Can he trust you with it? I don't know about you, but when I go into 2022, more than I want the dream, I want God to give me the wisdom and the discerning heart to pass the tests that are in front of me. So whatever he gives me, he can trust me with it. Amen. If you enjoyed today's message, be sure to hit the subscribe button. And if you want to experience daily content, messages, and inspiration, go ahead and sign up for Daily Bread with PM by visiting sevenhillschurch.tv slash dbpm. Thanks for listening to the Seven Hills Church Podcast.